0: Welcome to Unscripted Pivots. I am your host, Danielle Sproles. Welcome to Unscripted Pivots. I have today with me a terrific guest, and I can't wait for everybody to meet her. Her name is June Bardwell. Welcome, June. Hey, thank you, Danielle. I'll tell you what, one of the sweet things about this experience for me is that I didn't even know you until I rolled out this podcast. And it was like a friend of a friend of a friend. And that is such a beautiful example of what can happen when we just go for things, right? And we put it out there. And then somebody thought you would be such an ideal guest. And I thought, okay, she sounds interesting. I'm going to check her out. And I don't even know where to begin with you. There is such depth to your experience and to your everyday existence now, all that's going on. So we'll do like an overview of what it is that makes June, June. But I want to start about what you're doing for your career because it's really darn impressive. So you are an owner and principal at Planet and Planet helps design and build technology environments that make businesses work. I know that you just recently celebrated your 20th anniversary there. So, (laughs) and it wasn't your first thing in tech. So tell us a little bit about what you do at Planet and what Planet does for the world. I'll
1: start out with what Planet does. You already said we specialize in the design of technology for buildings and infrastructure. So, we all take for granted when we go into a building, we go into an office, that all the technology is going to work, right? We never think about how did that stuff get designed? What's really making it work? Is wireless really wireless? (laughs) Those are all the things that we design. We don't actually install any equipment, we're like the technology architects for a building. And for workplaces, colleges, hospitals, any kind of building these days needs technology. All that stuff behind the walls, the wiring, the cabling, we design all that. The server rooms, the technology rooms, the the data network, everything goes on the data network these days, audiovisual security, phone system, that's what we do. We all specialize in the design of that kind of technology. So when I first started at Planet, I was one of the consultants and I was also a project manager. And as we went along, we found out that it's really difficult to find somebody to sell our services unless they've done it. So that's why I migrated into being the business developer for the company. Okay.
0: Yeah. Even just to get into the tech world, I love how you described Planet. It's like all these invisible things that are going on to make our experiences better. That's a mysterious part of it. So when I met you, I'm thinking like, what? Who? Because it's nothing that I could actually tangibly see, but I couldn't live without. Yeah. You take that on a corporate scale. So one of the things we do here is we talk about what we were planning on doing with our lives, usually starting with our studies in high school, college, and that type of thing. And then we, what we ended up doing, because I'm finding, like myself, a lot of women are not doing what they went to school for. But that, that it was a stepping stone to building block. It had value to what they ended up doing. Yeah. But the direction just took a, an incredible turn. So tell yeah. us a little bit about what you were studying in college, where you went and what your direction, what your thoughts were at that time.
1: I wish I could tell you that I had a direction and that things took a different turn. I actually had no direction and <laughs> I... <laughs> confession time: I had no objective, but I was always a good student. Okay, I graduated <laughs> in the top 10% of my high school class. All right. and, and I just grew up knowing I had to go to college. That was the message from my parents. It never really occurred to me as I got older, like, what was I going to do? Because I had no true passion. There were so many people who like, they knew they were going to be a doctor. They knew they were going to be a dentist. They knew they were going to be a biological chemical engineer. <laughs> I didn't have any of that stuff. I was a pretty good artist, but I figured if I'm not the best artist in my class, then I'm in high school, then it's going to be like a thousand times worse when I get out. I'm a good writer, but I'm not the best writer. Do I love writing? Mm, not really. And so I get to college and I think, yeah, I'll figure it out. I didn't figure it out. And by the time I was a junior and I had to declare my major, it was panic time for me.
0: And <laughs> <Pressing> <laughs> on. <laughs>
1: so I just, Picked what I was comfortable with, and that was Asian studies. My mother's Japanese. I spent a lot of time growing up in Japan, and University of Colorado had a great Asian studies department. So I did that, and I didn't even think beyond that. What was I going to do with that weird
0: degree? And when You I- say weird degree, but what I'm thinking is how unique you are. Who else at that time was in that space, right, being bilingual? right? Today, a little bit more, you'll see that. I'm so envious. I never went that direction, (laughs) really. I always thought I'd be bilingual. I'm still not. I don't know if it's too late. So you had this background. How did that morph into technology, a male-dominated industry, especially 30 years ago? So talk about that. Yeah. Actually, it was the late
1: 70s, so it was more than 30 years ago.
0: (laughs) And I graduated. I had
1: no job. I had no direction. I Honestly, I didn't know what I was going to do. I Could have moved back to Japan and gotten a job there, but I didn't want to live in Japan anymore. One day, somebody that I knew said that this technology company right outside of Boulder, Colorado was looking for a bilingual secretary. And I thought, me? (laughs) 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 I was typing in ninth grade. (laughs) So I applied for the job. Of course, I was the only one who applied for the job because not too many people in Boulder, Colorado spoke Japanese. And that's how I got into the technology industry was because of this one little break that I got because of my ability to speak Japanese at that time. And that's when I knew. I knew I wanted to go into technology sales and I never looked back.
0: That's fantastic.
1: Yeah. And you're right. That was at a time during the late 70s. The technology industry was not only male driven, it was a, Male-driven entitlement, the amount of just sheer sexual harassment that was just—they felt entitled to—was disgusting. Today, it would be means they, for arrest.
0: They, they would all be in jail today. Thank yeah, God, they're absolutely. That and you know, it's so funny when I say thirty years ago, I pretty much say that about everything, thinking that it signifies a while ago. And no, like even when I think about, I graduated law school <laughs> in 1990. <laughs> Oh gosh, it's okay. So, like forty, and oh, we'll get into how I would never even know how old you are because how beautiful your skin is. But that's for a later conversation today. (laughs) So, you're in this male-dominated thing, and you're really doing more administrative type of activities. So, right then and there, you're adding a lot of value because you're bringing in the language and culture that they need for their clients. So, you're holding space that's important to them, but you didn't feel a whole lot of respect.
1: No, not at all. Not at all. And I vowed in my early 20s, I would never, ever treat somebody in an administrative position the way that I was treated, just like a third-class citizen.
0: Yeah, I'm so sorry you had to go through that. That's just absolutely awful. But you stayed in that and you grew within the tech industry. So how did you know this was for you? And how did you morph from that administrative role into something more substantial?
1: Yeah, yeah. Good. Great question. So the company that I was with, which was the largest competitor of IBM in the mainframe storage device marketplace, was thousands and thousands of men and maybe a couple dozen women. And there was one non-administrative position available. And I've been in my secretarial job for about a year and a half. That job came open. I applied for it. I got it. And that gave me the visibility running the customer briefing center to meet a lot of the sales managers, the sales people, executives at my company, clients. And that way I grew my visibility. And additionally, I volunteered to write a series of articles for the company newspaper back in the day when there was a company newspaper. And so what I did was I wrote a series of articles about. At that time, called data processing, IBM mainframes. I highlighted each one of our products each month, and that's when the calls started coming in, and I started getting offers to be a salesperson out in the field.
0: That's terrific. That was the opportunity that gave yeah. you the exposure that you needed. And, I, and but I'm trying. I'm struggling with the idea about you writing that type of material because I have, you know, getting to know you, seen all that you write on your blog, which we'll reference later on, and this, that seems so dry. Did you give that stuff life? I mean, what we
1: <laughs> put it this way. I wrote it from a layperson's perspective, right? Okay. So it was not so technical that it would make you snooze, but it was enough to make you realize, okay, this is where my company fits in this industry. And this is maybe where I fit in this industry.
0: At the end of the day, it does make sense because you're a good communicator. And to be able to write that piece, that's what you would need to make something that was digestible and attractive and to create that want for your company to do what it is that you do. But I had to teach
1: myself all that. I had to teach myself. And that's where I think the guys came back and said, wow, we didn't think that you knew anything about this. It wasn't rocket science.
0: No, but you know what? They were surprised because they underestimated you. How often have you found that happening during the course of your career? And do you even find that today?
1: Of course, many times over the course of my career. But today, you know, this is one of the beautiful things about getting older is that you build equity in yourself. Just like when you own a house, your house builds equity. When we get older and we're doing what we do for a long time, we build equity in ourselves. And that translates to having a good reputation. It translates to having confidence in ourselves.
0: I, that's so on point. I love the way <laughs> building equity in yourself. I'm going to remember that. Let me write this down. <laughs> no, that's exactly. I've never heard it articulated quite that way, but that's really on point. That's really terrific. So, what was the biggest challenge that you're facing in your business right now? Because we're going to jump into some other stuff and. At Planet or in the industry at large, you've been there twenty years. You've been in the industry for a few decades more than that. And what is the biggest challenge that's going on in twenty twenty three?
1: I think that for my company in particular, we've been in business house for twenty two years, and we need a succession plan, especially for me, because without sales, you don't have a company, right?
0: That's right. Yeah, very critical,
1: and it's very difficult to sell what we sell, as I said earlier, unless you've actually done it. So finding somebody to be the succession for me and for some of the other people in my firm, the other owners who are getting to a point where maybe some of us do wanna retire. I'm not saying it's me. I'm just saying that maybe there are some who wanna retire. What is our succession plan going to be? And we've been very blessed that we've found some fantastic talent from outside our company, but it also makes sense to grow from within our company. So that's one of the things that I'm working on is finding somebody to to follow in my footsteps. And the thing that I have to remember for myself, Danielle, is that person, is, maybe is not going to do things the June way, but no. as long as that person is client focused and has the desire to grow and grow the firm, then we're going to be okay.
0: Exactly. None of us are truly replaceable, but our roles certainly can be fulfilled. Yeah. Okay, The succession planning, a lot of people are resistant to it. And then all of a sudden it comes and hits them in the face. So I'm glad that you guys are thinking about that because you have a terrific thing going on and it's sustainable with the right people. And you are such a good person to actually mentor anybody that's coming in. And it's interesting, you found people that are good outside of the company, right? But ideally, it would be within because now you have the burden of teaching them your culture. So mm-hmm. There's one thing about the role, but what is Planet's branding? What is Planet's culture? The things that drew you to that company in the first place. Yeah, right. you were drawn. Very good to, point. You were drawn to that culture. And so it's something you have to now share and teach. But speaking of culture, let's jump to your parents, okay? Because I know that all of what makes you, even more so than the average person, mind you, and we all come in this world from parents, okay? And what that looks like in terms of impact or the relationship with, that varies across the board. But your parents and your culture have really impacted and shaped you in so many ways. I can just see it threaded throughout your life, you know? So let's talk about that a little bit, because I am just so wowed by the ancient, no, culture and traditions that is part of Japan. We had lunch a couple of weeks ago, and I thought, I feel sorry for us Americans. It just seems so shallow. <laughs> like, I, not really. It's what I know. But when we talk about the different rituals and whatnot, and we were talking about breathwork, and we were talking about, oh, I don't know if I'm going to butcher it, with the bowl. What is it? How do you- The kintsugi. Kintsugi. And uh, so let's talk about that a little bit. Tell me about your parents and how that impacted you.
1: There's nothing more than I love than talking about my parents.
0: Not everybody says that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So
1: my parents met after World War II when America had taken over Japan after Japan lost Mm -hmm. the war. And my mother was a dental hygienist. She was extremely independent for a Japanese woman, especially from That particular generation. And, but she wanted a career. She wanted to travel. She wanted adventure. And uh, my dad was at that time in the Army Air Corps and he was a dental technician. So they met on base because of their careers. And Yeah. yeah. And you can imagine my grandparents were just appalled when my mother and father started dating. They weren't even allowed to go out on a date by themselves, although I know they did snares. <laughs> Are
0: <laughs> and, you the results of that? <laughs> <laughs> no, they actually I did the math. <laughs> but, <laughs> was, uh, yeah,
1: they and then when my father proposed <laughs> to my mother, oh my God, I from what I understand, that was that was a huge, huge thing for my grandparents. But my mother did end up traveling a lot. It sure wasn't the way that she had anticipated it, it being married to a man in the military, but it was a interesting and adventurous life for her. And I think you alluded to this earlier, Danielle, we all grow up the way we grow up. And as kids, we just think that our family is normal and the way that we do things is normal. So it never occurred to me that my background was different, although it was. We lived in Dayton, Ohio for about six years. And I think there was one other family whose mom was Japanese and father was Caucasian and everybody else was not like me. And
0: how old were you at the time?
1: We lived in Dayton from the time I was in third grade. So that was probably like eight years old till the end of eighth grade. So I was 14.
0: And it's a very I sensitive just, time and yeah, you're just, developing your identity and your independence. And that feeling of belonging outside the home becomes really important, right?
1: Yeah. And there was nothing more I wanted than to just be American and just be like everybody else. If I could have had blonde hair, blue eyes, fair skin, that was my ideal to me. And then, as life has it, my dad got transferred to Okinawa right after my eighth grade year. And so I ended up spending four years on the island of Okinawa going to a Department of Defense high school. And there were so many people like me, you know, pe- mothers who are Korean, Japanese, Chinese, fathers were Caucasian. In the right. It's like,
0: a, it's like a melting pot, right? Oh, totally. It's a melting totally. pot. Totally. It was
1: a wonderful experience. And I would say that probably half of my adult friends today are people I went to high school with.
0: From there? That's yeah. terrific. Yeah. So you were there, but then you were at the University of Colorado for college, right? So yeah. that was just your four-year stint. And I'm yes. glad it was so positive, especially on the heels of grammar school probably being more difficult in Ohio. Yeah. And then what brought you back to the States? Was it your your dad's job or you just went independently, I'm ready for America again?
1: By the time that I graduated from high school, I wasn't going to stay on the island and, and I had to go to college. And I chose University of Colorado because why else would you choose a university? It was number one party school,
0: Playboy magazine. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? This is so great. You're wildly successful. You have your own business. We'll talk about that in a minute, and all these things going on, and yet it's just proof that you don't have to be a book nerd. And yet you're very well read and very intelligent, right? But you knew when to have fun when it was time to have fun. But But Daniel, I have to
1: say, those four years in Okinawa, I squandered them. I squandered them in terms of my culture. We'd go back every summer and spend the summer with my grandparents on mainland Japan, and by that time, my Japanese had really really just gone to the wayside. And my poor grandparents were sitting there looking at this sullen teenager who didn't speak Japanese anymore. And all I wanted to do was just party with my friends. Go back, (laughs) you know, can we go back to Okinawa so I can be with my friends? And by the time I got to college, I thought, whoa, that was a wasted four years. I should have been learning the language again, learning more about my culture. And so that's when I really started getting more serious about my Japanese culture.
0: Mm -hmm. We get it when we get it. I I wasn't even present for my high school years. My parents were getting divorced. My mother moved to Texas. Things Mm. were just upended. And I was just interested in boyfriends and girlfriends. And so I hung out with my friends. It wasn't until college that I even got serious about my studies. We get it. And then I started that whole stint with, oh, I'm going to be a doctor. That's what I want to be. I woke up and, you know, But am I a doctor? No. Then I was going to be a lawyer. Am I a lawyer? No. I have a law degree. I passed the bar. I was in New Jersey. I'm not doing that either. The journey is the journey. Tell me a little bit about your name, because that has some significance. And I love it how your parents came to name you. Tell us what June means in Japanese. Thank
1: you. Thank you. So the name June means purity in Japanese. And it's interesting when June is both an American name or English name, mm-hmm. and it's also Japanese name. So it worked for both sides, right? As a matter of fact, when I was in high school, there were like 10 or 11 other girls named June. We all had a Japanese mother and a Caucasian father.
0: Because really? Yeah. I, I, how cool yeah. is that? And that's not far-reaching today. Maybe yeah. back then, today, that all over, right? I love yeah. how the world has changed. So we've got that. and. I wanted to talk about your name because I want to talk about your company. So not only are you a principal at Planet in the technology space, you also have your own company. And I'm so impressed by that. I really, really am. And I am also the recipient of what you give out. You sell the products, they're beauty products, right? I have the Pure Essence, which I use in the morning and at night. And then you just gave me the hand cream as a gift when we saw each other over lunch. And I can't tell you how tickled I am not only by your generosity, but just the thoughtfulness behind it and the message behind your company. So it's not, tell everybody who's listening about what inspired you to do that and how the impact of our parents and our earlier messages in life, they don't land till later, okay? But (laughs) they land in a profound way. Oh, I love
1: that you just said that. Yeah.
0: yeah. So let's talk about how you started that business and what's going on there.
1: If you go to my website, which is purejunelife.com, and it's J-U-N without the E, it's a little off balance for some people because what is it? Is it about skincare or is it about lifestyle and wellness and about life experiences? It's about all of the above. Mm -hmm. So I'll talk about the skincare first. So my mother... Again, from Japan, she had the most beautiful skin, Danielle. And it wasn't because she just lived that Japanese lifestyle of staying out of the sun and just taking care of herself. It was because she had this secret skincare treatment that her mother taught her how to make. Now, when my mother tried to get me to use it, of course, I absolutely refused because she made it in the kitchen. And why would I use
0: something <laughs> you made in the it's kitchen? It's not fancy enough. I mean, <laughs> it's forget not fancy again, enough. you know. Exactly. Yeah. And plus, your mother was telling you, which right then and there you don't tend to legitimize what our mothers tell us until like way after the fact, okay? Yeah. It takes yeah, years. Exactly.
1: <laughs> and it was made out of sake and lemons and glycerin. So those are the three ingredients that she used. Now, when my grandmother made it, she actually used a Japanese citrus called yuzu, which is like a lemon, but it's more bitter and smaller, and it has three times the vitamin C of a lemon.
0: Is Uh, that even available in the United States?
1: In my backyard, it is. Yeah, you can buy it usually at the Japanese market, Mm -hmm. and it's a pretty exotic, difficult to find fruit. I started using it in my thirties because my mother had been visiting and she left a couple bottles of her concoction behind. I ran out of my fancy bottle of toner. So I started That's using. you were her.
0: overpaying for. Yes, that I was <laughs> overpaying for, thank you.
1: And I was using it for a few months and I ran into a girlfriend I hadn't seen in a while and she looked really close at my skin and she says, Your skin looks so much better. What are you using? And I thought, oh, my God, I'm such an idiot. I should have been listening to my mother because that was the only thing I had changed. And so over the years, I've given away so many bottles of that formulation and women who used it loved it. And there were a few people who said to me, you try to market it, monetize it. But honestly, Daniel, I didn't know how to do it. Like, it just seemed so daunting. And
0: well, not but, only that, you have you had what was called a real career in the making. It wasn't that yeah. you were thinking, like, now I'm gonna market this to everybody else. It was something that you were enjoying for yourself. Yes. One of the things that's like an aha moment. Oh, I could have been doing this all along. And it reminds me of a saying that the teacher appears when the student's ready. Okay. Now yeah. it may have been the same teacher, it was mom, but the student being you was ready. And one of the things you talk about on your website, the pure June. Life, we're going to have it will be in the show notes, everybody, and you absolutely have to look at it and give yourself some time to really digest all that's happening. It's yeah, I, words would not do it justice, but you describe yourself as a student of life. And that's right. Isn't that where it's at? I just, the curiosity that we can have and actually be open minded, and that's the way that you can really experience things at its deepest. So, Let's talk about the website. I, when you open it up, Pure June Life. It says, "Engage your heart, elevate your life, and connect with your beauty." Now, how did you come up with that tagline? Because it's just—it's so poetically beautiful.
1: I don't know. It just came to me, and really, it's about what—it's about hope. That website to me is—is is, if somebody asked me, like an elevator pitch. I would say it's a wellness, it's a lifestyle website, right? Just to at least get somebody's attention, like, okay, I know what wellness is, I know what lifestyle website is, but it's actually more than that, Danielle. To me, Pure June Life is about hope and wholeness. It's about hope when we're feeling like there is no hope anymore, when we feel isolated, when we feel like we don't know where to turn. And it's about wholeness in terms of our lives being whole from the inside and the outside and that whole mind-body connection. That makes sense.
0: It does. And it's so deep. I view your products, the tangible skincare products, more as evidence of all that you've learned and that you've experienced. So it's really not a skincare line per se. It's a message, and here's a tangible thing to understand that message. And I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but I heard a great, I love acronyms, I'm a nerd. Hope stands for Hold On Pain Ends. Oh, I love that. Oh, I just got goosebumps when you (laughs) said that. Mm. Okay. And there's so much truth to that. And let's touch a little bit about what you share what you expose of yourself within that website, because it's literally like a series of novels. It is like reading your diary and you share it in such a raw and beautiful way because you really expose the pains that you went through, the self-doubt. And factually, you've been a little bit through the ringer. You know, you, your career was so important to you. And I thought I would get married later in life and do all of that. That was my idea when Danielle was eighteen. That's not what happened. I ended up getting married at twenty two and the career got put on hold. So I did the flip side of everything I said. But you actually let your career blossom and you were formidable in the tech space. And all of a sudden you're like, Oh, okay, my friends are all getting married and you didn't find yourself married for a while. Right. Yeah, long time. Yeah, yeah, for a long time. So let's just briefly touch upon that because these things are in, in the stories of your yeah. website.
1: That's interesting that you bring all that up about my career. That was my number one driving force in my life. And then when I hit my late 30s, there was so much that I realized that was missing. And I wasn't even sure what it was that was missing, Daniel. I just mm-hmm. knew that something was missing. And so that actually started me on a path of in a journey towards spirituality. And looking into different aspects of spirituality away from formalized religion. So that was one thing that was happening. And then the other thing was, I'm ready for a relationship. it has been years. My relationships were like a series of a few months here, a few months there. And here I was <laughs> now in my late 30s thinking, I, I kind of would like to be in a serious relationship, which I did find and had that for five years. But By that time, I wanted to get married. And so now here I am, age 44. I've never been married. (laughs) I broke up with that guy, that five-year relationship, because he was not going to marry me. And I had no prospects. I had a very mediocre dating track record. And it, just because you want something doesn't mean that it's going to show up on your front doorstep.
0: No, no, it doesn't. I'm just wondering very quickly, what did your parents have to say about all this? That, were they like waiting for you to get married so that they could fulfill their dream as you now becoming grandparents? Because <laughs> it really, at some point in our lives, it becomes about them and not us. OK, they you want to know like, why you're not on their timeline. Did you have any of that pressure? Not or... zero, oh, zero. I love that. to hear that. Zero. That's fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Nope, didn't have any of that at all. I love that you were supported at every level. Okay. So you're 44. You're still not married. And then what happens? You're looking around. Your friends are all getting married. They are married. They are married. Now they're married and divorced. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't even gotten to first base yet.
1: (laughs) And so I thought, maybe I just need to try harder. And (laughs) just like at work, right? If you put more effort into it, you're going to get more back. that That just doesn't work with relationships. And... By that time, I had a spiritual teacher, Guru Singh, who is still to this day so important to me in my life. And I was probably complaining about lack of, and he said, June, let's go at this from a different angle. And he said, let's have you write an affirmation. And I remember thinking, affirmation, isn't that like what people who listen to new age music do, like write an affirmation? (laughs) <laughs>
0: that was not appealing, but you no, no, listened. God, no. yeah.
1: okay. And I didn't even know how to write one. And so yeah. I, I struggled with it. And I finally came up with pretty good affirmation about being. It was present tense. It was like it had already happened, right? Mm. And then guess what? Appear- I got married. <laughs> <laughs> he appeared. He Appear- appeared. And I let go of the searching. I okay. let it come to me as opposed to searching for it. And when you're a goal-oriented person, you're always going for it, right? You've got the goal, you're moving towards it, you're running towards it. And to be able to let go and just detach from that outcome is so hard. But I think that it is such the right way to live life.
0: Because it's against your DNA, right? Both like, kind of like, not uptight, but we're type A women, successful, we're doers. And we usually think that the outcome is gonna be Correlated to the result or the effort we put in. I have found in my life, and again, we get older, we get wiser, that it's not about working harder, it's about resisting less. Mm. Right? Oh, I love that. Yeah. That's where it's at. But that's just because we can think it or be taught it. I know what your spiritual advisor has meant to you over the years and how impactful that's been. But just because we can want to do something, There's got to be a bridge there to where we can actually do that because now we're exercising new skills, right? Letting go and letting be is a skill. You can't just go, oh yeah, that makes sense. I'll do it that way. You've already been doing it another way for 45 years, right? So then you did, you got married. So so got married, had a
1: great marriage, and then he died. Yeah. He died. Yeah. We had been together less than seven years and he was the picture of health, we thought. And he was diagnosed with a very aggressive leukemia and he was gone five weeks to the day that he was diagnosed.
0: That is absolutely shocking. How did you even digest that to be so grief stricken? I would think that it probably was a while before you could actually understand that it had happened beyond the factual circumstances. And that's so tough because when you're that late in life, you're thinking, it took me this long to find it. How can I possibly ever find it again? But your story has such a beautiful turn. <laughs> it has such a beautiful turn. So let's Aww. talk about that. Let's talk about that. But, and you know what? Share with the women that are listening what tools you use to heal. Because yeah. healing is so critical. And so yeah. share a little bit about how you were healing and how it led you to such wonderful things.
1: First of all, here I was age 51 and I was widowed and none of my friends my age had lost a spouse. And so I really didn't have any peers that I could turn to for some comfort and support and advice. I had even gotten my head wrapped around the fact that he was sick and now he was gone. It was too quick. And too quick. and then. I think it was six weeks later, our dog died. And that was crushing. And it's just like my life had just imploded around me. But what kept me going was a number of things. People I already knew, like I'm have so blessed to have a wide support of very, very close and good friends. So even though they didn't know what to do, they were there to support me. After Jim passed away, I did not spend a night alone for the first three weeks. It's like every night, one of, some, one of my girlfriends showed up and spent the night with me. And they and some of them didn't even know each other. It was just like one after another. Wow. It was just like this choreographed, that beautiful support of my female friends who were just showing up and just staying with me, cooking for me, taking care of me, listening to me, crying with me. And Guru Singh. I couldn't have gone through this without him because I didn't understand about death and dying, Danielle. You know, I didn't, I really didn't understand about how love continues to live on in our hearts, even when the body is not here anymore.
0: Yeah. Well, when you're experiencing pain that actually becomes physical because it hurts so bad, it's hard to see the spiritual aspects of, you know, of somebody passing like that. That is. And
1: then I met new people as well. Michelle Murphy, who has turned into a friend. She's a medium. And when Buddha Singh suggested I reach out to her, I was like, no, I don't want to talk to somebody who does that kind of stuff.
0: <laughs> is that, that was too woo-woo
1: for you? That was like the affirmation thing on steroids.
0: I would have thought the opposite, that because, you know, how rich your culture is in Japan and the things that you were exposed to, and by comparison, America being I don't know. I don't want to keep calling us shallow, but I mean, I'm just—I'm look, still looking for the depth, right? So I would have thought that you'd been like, "Yeah, I know there's more because I came from more, more than what's around you." But you were still questioning it. Okay. I,
1: I wish then, you'd been around it that I'd known you at the time, so you could have pointed that out to me, Daniel.
0: <laughs> I wouldn't have known it either. We both had an age to get here, but that's the beautiful thing. So you um, worked with the medium, and yes, worked yeah. with
1: the medium. Just who just made me feel so. I knew that life wasn't over, you know, Mm -hmm. that life goes on in a different format. We don't know what it is, but that energy never dies and that love never dies. I also, through a friend, got a fantastic therapist who I still see today. And then I also, another woo-woo thing, met an energy healer and I still see him to this day. And all of those things helped me to get through that tunnel of grief, and it was years, Danielle. It was years for me. I know other people who have lost their spouses and experienced profound loss—their t- children, spouses—and it hasn't. It took them much less to get to where than me to get to where I was in terms of exiting that tunnel of grief. Everybody has their own journey. Everybody has their they own do. experience.
0: I really, I celebrate that you worked so hard and consistently to get to where you got to today. So tell us a little bit about what's going on because you're in love. (laughs) I
1: am. Several years ago, I really didn't even date that much because I figured after Jim died, because I figured, you know what? I got to experience something that a lot of people want to, but they don't ever Get to. And so I'm good with that. I can die happy. And my friends were not agreeing with me. And one of my friends suggested I use a dating app. Now, that's to me, even like, (laughs) oh, no, I'm not doing that. And, but Uh. I have so much respect for her. And she said, I think it's going to work out for you. And I said, okay. So I asked her to teach me, be my dating coach. And this is about six years ago. And you know what? I had a great experience with that dating app. And Stephen was one of the first to reach out. And when we finally met about six weeks later, I thought, oh my God, he is as good looking as his photos.
0: I could have spent That's all not a afternoon. case. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm glad you weren't. What do they call that? Not fish. What do they call that when somebody is not who they say they are, or they don't look like their photos? There's actually a name for that.
1: I don't know. I call that a bait and switch.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Catfish? I don't know. I'm not on one of these right now. But So he was as good looking. And right away, you felt something, right? Like everything came alive. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Alive. for you, sure.
1: You, if We were going to only meet for a 45-minute coffee. <laughs> and I had to get back to work. <laughs> you know, we were saying goodbye. And I reached in to give him that, that friendly hug that you give and maybe kind of put my cheek next to his cheek or something. Yeah. And he kissed me so hard. And I thought, Oh my God. And I got my car and I remember I put my lips up, my, my fingers up to my lips and I thought, Oh my God, what just happened?
0: And um, wow, that was it. That was it for me. And um, you were swept away. Yeah. And I want to share with everybody that's listening that June and I collide on this story in as much as it was a very similar situation. My husband, John, I met on a dating app and I thought that was the most ridiculous thing ever. Like, why would I go on it? I did it to a piece of girlfriend who wanted to compare notes. And he was one of the very first ones who reached out. I met him for a very quick drink at the time. And as I was exiting, but I was the one who leaned in the valet brought up our car. He just, he was like, giving me like a little bit of a hug and Danielle went for, it. I don't know, in that <laughs> moment I just did. And so started the sparks and thank yeah. God that, you know, that that can happen because that could be a moment that just passed and then nothing really happened. And I yeah. know that you're so happy and things are going so well. I didn't know you when you were in in so much pain, but I encourage everybody to visit June's website. It'll be in the show notes and you could read about her story. There's just so much depth to it and it's positively beautiful. There's a book in there, June. That's what I think that that could be translated into a book. And I can't thank you enough for coming on. I have one last question. If you could be remembered for one thing, what would it be?
1: Oh, what a great question. I would use the word kindness. That's what I hope that I'm remembered for. When I was younger, I was so much in protection mode. And I actually thought that kindness was a sign of weakness. And, and I hid my true nature. And it's a lot of work and it's exhausting to fight against your true nature. And letting go of fear allowed me to live in my true nature and show kindness not only to others, but to myself. Okay? And even if I'm not remembered at all, I just hope that my actions have an effect so that others will be kind to each other now and in the future.:
0: I love that. That's very powerful. Would you please repeat for everybody, your website, how they can reach you? Sure. It's pure June
1: JUN life dot com. Okay.
0: Everybody check this out. It is a story to be seen in the product. I support this. It is doing wonders to my face. It's like a toner, like a refreshing toner that you use twice a day and then a hand cream. And I can't even say enough about the packaging because there's the Japanese flair. I don't know if that's how you send it out to everybody or if I, I do. Oh, okay. I thought I was just special. The
1: packaging <laughs> is so important. Yes. You are very, very special, Danielle. <laughs> I want every person who receives the bottle of Pure Essence to feel special because you mm. are special. Yes,
0: we all are. And we are women that flourish. All right. You're all about that. Thanks for coming on today. And uh, I hope if you're out there that you enjoyed listening. Thanks for stopping by today. I hope you enjoyed this episode and conversation. Check out the show notes to stay in touch with my guests. The community grows when we spread the word. Feel free to share this episode with a friend by text or on social media. And remember, you can tag me on Instagram at Danielle Scrolls. Rating the show also helps give it some traction. I would appreciate a five-star review. And next time you experience that WTF moment, remember, we are Women That Flourish.